This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, Justin is AWOL, Glenn loses his beard, and the mystery FlexPod HCIS product finally ships. Chaos! Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name, of course, is not Justin Parisi. Justin is out in Sunnyvale this week meeting with the fabulous NetApp A-Team. I am, of course, the stand-in this week, Glenn Sizemore. And joining me, as always, is... Andrew Sullivan, although not not really as always. Uh, Is is it equally annoying when when I don't introduce your name and I force you to say it yourself as when Justin does that to me every week? No, so I knew it was coming. I'm sitting here, I'm looking at you, and I'm going, Glenn's going to do this to me. I need to be prepared for this. (laughs) And I still have this moment of, oh, crap, i got to say my own name. So, no, yeah, uh, Justin, you know, we we miss you, buddy. Um, You know, say hi from the editing floor. Um, You know, uh, floor in quotes here. Uh, He's out, yeah schmoozing with the uh, A-team and enjoying some of the storage field day stuff. So just before I came in here to record this, we were listening to, I was listening to Dave Hitz uh, pontificate. So the man is a great speaker. I have nothing but good things to say about him in that respect. Yeah, I've got that marked down on my calendar to go watch the recording tonight, actually. I, I just, today's a busy day. But yeah, I'm super, I'm super excited to go watch the Dave show. The Dave's. Yeah, yeah, I I have not uh, had an opportunity to see Dave Wright speak in person. I was looking forward to that, but you know, uh, I'll watch it in the recording and see what happens. But yeah, I know Justin will have lots of good things to say coming out of that. So those are always interesting. Yeah, absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have got a fabulous show in the books for you today. Uh, This is something that is near and dear to my own heart. Uh, Longtime listeners of the podcast may remember. God, I don't even know how long ago it was now, Andrew, but but a while back, I was making proclamations about the hyperconverged market and the need for everyone to watch that space, and, and I was super jazzed about some stuff that we were doing uh, here inside NetApp. Well, lo and behold, we can finally talk about this stuff, Sully. It's a real product. <laughs> it's shipped. It's done. <laughs> and and we brought in the product manager inside NetApp, a uh, n- gentleman by the name of Wyatt Bennett. Wyatt, how are you doing today, sir? I am great, and it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on today, Glenn. I appreciate it, and thanks for saying my name as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got uh, the, the normal, our, 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 the third in this show. <laughs> uh, Justin loves to mess with me. I, I like to joke that his hobby is derailing the show, whereas most hosts try to keep it on the tracks. Clearly, you're, you're, you're yeah. treating me with the you guest know, gloves. I appreciate it. Speaking of which, I have to derail us for just a second. Glenn, I've known you for a decade. Okay. And for a decade, I oh, no, have never comes. seen you without no! a beard. And uh, No, literally. So Glenn walks up to... Uh, my desk yesterday, and I just glance up. I'm like, "Who is who is this?" Like, I did not recognize him at all. Yeah, we'll have to post a picture on Twitter just so everybody can make fun of me. I over the weekend was standing there, shaving and doing the things that you do, and decided I haven't actually like gotten rid of all of it in ten plus years. Let's see what that looks like. So just busted out the cream and went all the way down. And it sounds mm, like a midlife crisis. I'm not going to judge. I, but yeah. this is big. <laughs> yeah, it's it. It was. I came downstairs and my wife said, "Yeah, you made a mistake." And I went, "Yep, I <laughs> certainly did." It's your evil twin. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. 
So absolutely, thank you for outing me on the so, internet, Sully. We'll make sure that everyone could see that with their own eyes. Hey, that's okay. I expect <laughs> retribution at some point. It will happen. So back on track. All right, train heading towards the mountains. Uh, so Wyatt, uh, let's just go ahead and set this up proper. Uh, can you go ahead and for the listeners at home, just just give a brief introduction to your role here at NetApp, your title, and what you do? Sure. Thanks, Glenn. So I am Wyatt Bennett, uh, Senior Solutions Product Manager on the FlexPod team here at NetApp. Um, and I've been at NetApp uh, coming up on two years. I've uh, been in and around FlexPod for the duration. Um, and, and this product really is near and dear to my heart. I uh, traditionally have an IT management uh, engineering-focused background. Um, and and when um, when we saw hyperconverged really starting to take off and take a shape of its own, I think very natural questions really arose um, with respect to what that meant here at NetApp, and I think very specifically what it meant to the FlexPod um, architecture. Oh yeah, knowing that now knowing that FlexPod is traditionally a converged infrastructure architecture, and hyperconverged is a different form factor. Um, ult- ultimately, I view them as a continuum, Glenn, and um, what I think that this product that we're going to go into a little more detail uh, on today actually achieves is it's taking a lot of the value proposition that the market and our customers uh, love and for the right reasons about hyperconverged infrastructure. And it's bringing those capabilities closer to and within the FlexPod product line. Um, so I think that what we end up with really is a combination uh, effect, a, a synergy, if you will, where the FlexPod with infrastructure automation is taking some core capabilities, uh, borrowing, if you will, uh, from the value proposition that customers love from HCI, hyperconverged infrastructure, bringing it and combining it with the flexibility of the architecture that FlexPod uh, has been known for and the customers love. So very excited to, uh, to see this combination and uh, very excited to, to bring it out to our customers. Yeah, for the listeners at home, you may not have caught the name. Uh, it, 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 it changed several times over the course of product development. Go figure. That always happens. But uh, the one that we shipped with is... FlexPod with Infrastructure Automation. FlexPod um, with Infrastructure Automation. It's, it's shipping. And again, um, we're starting with a single fixed configuration model, which we'll talk a little bit more about today. Okay. Uh, but we will be bringing the capability, this automation capability, the ability to quickly stand up um, and roll out your FlexPod in minutes um, to additional sizes and form factors in the future. So we'll talk about where we are today, where we're going, the longer-term vision those aspects. Awesome. That sounds like a great show to me. What do, we, what do you think, Sully? I think it sounds great. So so without further ado, so to speak, you know, so so what are the details? What, what are the nuts and bolts? You said it's a single fixed configuration today. Uh, it is. It is. So let me let me take a step to the side and dive in there, uh, hopefully kind of in, in fell swoop. Um, so first things first, uh, historically, we've heard from partners and customers that ordering a FlexPod takes too much time period, you yeah. know, one month or more, uh, oftentimes more. So um, the first kind of value proponent here is that we are partnering with Avnet for this 1.0 release. Uh, we hope to expand to ad- additional distributors and partners in the future, but we're bringing it to market through Avnet exclusively for 1.0. Um, and by partnering with Avnet, Avnet is providing the pre-rack and the cabling and essentially uh, also staging the unit with the automation that we've developed along with Cisco. So in the Avnet Distribution Center, we are bringing the solution to life and shipping it out pre-racked, pre-cabled, ready to go with the automation staged so that when it arrives on the customer site, they're bringing it up, 
they're hitting an admin interface associated with the UCS director, which drives the automation, and they're clicking go. So what, what we've done there is we've gone from one month or more on shipping and ordering and shipping combined, bringing it down to two weeks, and then we get to the really fun stuff, the automation where we have taken what is um, traditionally a 40 to 80 hour, depending on the size of the FlexPod process, 40 to 80 hours down to right around an hour. We were hovering like right at an hour. So I can't say it's less than an hour. I think it's like an hour and a couple of minutes, but it's right there. So something like a 98% reduction in the time to deploy. Uh, and therein lies, I think, the biggest nugget of value within the solution. But when you combine that ease of order, ease of ship and the acceleration that we have there through Avnet FSA 1 is the program that we're attaching to. With that ease of deployment, you really start to marry something I think that has real value for our customers. You know, mainly around um, mainly around time to value, you know, very generically, right? Get a FlexPod faster, bring it up more simply, but there are some, I think, probably less visible value tenants as well. Uh, risk mitigation. Oh, yeah. So that, what have we, right? Yeah. All these touch points that are normally associated with bringing a FlexPod online have been either reduced or removed. So risk mitigation and, and any number, I mean, I really think that the list goes on, but that one I really have been... Um, I've been speaking up loudly on because I think it's real for our customers. You can get to this converged infrastructure even more quickly. And the automation process, I want to make sure I make this clear, um, it, it not only automates the provisioning of the Nexus switching, the UCS servers in the fast storage, it also spins up the hypervisor. Uh, you have a choice of VSX 6.0 or uh, 5.5 U2. So um, you also get that, and I think that's, that's a big plus as well. Uh, we're not integrating with vCenter, so the customer can choose to create uh, a cluster or integrate into. We felt that that was important to give them that flexibility. In the future, we'll probably bring that even more closely into the actual automation to allow them to do it on the fly. Uh, but in a nutshell, um, those, are, those are the value tenants. Yeah, you know, let, let, let's let's kind of pick that apart a little bit. I'd like to spend some time uh, really just kind of talking this out because we touch on some of this stuff on this show quite often. Uh, like we've, we had uh, the, the fabulous Eric Raylian in here, of course, and we did a whole HCI versus CI show where we talked around this solution because we all knew it was coming, mm -hmm. but we didn't directly address it. And, and it, to me, the beauty of, of what... Uh, FlexPod with infrastructure automation is providing to customers. You know, you touched on it, but but yeah, it's the time to value, and and that's super important for for so many businesses, right? But when we walk in the front door and we can look at them with a straight face and say, Mister Customer, you know, 16 days from now we'll have your workload up and running on a converged infrastructure kit that is completely manageable, has a full lifecycle program behind it, and is non-disruptive from now until you decide to leave, right? Um, that's incredibly powerful. You got it. You got it. A ab absolutely. And again, and we, we, you know, we touched down. Um, I don't want to dance around the CI versus HCI topic too long. Um, this yeah. is converged infrastructure. Exactly. This is FlexPod. Yep. Um, and we think that that's a good thing. Now, specifically, we think um, um, that FlexPod, from an architectural standpoint, has just a tremendous amount of value, not just in terms of performance and speeds and feeds, uh, but in terms of flexibility. And you know, me personally, uh, as the product manager, but my personal view is that there are uh, inherent characteristics of the CI architecture that will continue to be extremely desirable 
to IT managers and CEOs and CIOs and everyone in between uh, for a long time. That is to say that uh, I view HCI uh, as extremely relevant, no doubt a market that's going to continue to grow. Where I see the real customer value in HCI is around the simplicity, not necessarily around the architecture. There may be those that disagree with me, but that's my kind of my personal read. I, 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 you're not going to get any disagreement in this room. Uh, I wrote a blog post last year, which I never actually published. I feel guilty about that. Now I'm talking about something no one can read. But um, th- that basically made that that proclamation yeah. that said that it's all about the people, folks. Quit talking about the technology. I don't care where you put the persistence tier. I don't care how you deploy your hypervisor. Mm-hmm. It's about the operations team. It's mm-hmm. about the developer. It's about mm-hmm. the administrator. It's mm-hmm. about the IT pro. The person who has to manage this are they capable of doing that? You got Do they it. have the required skill set? That's right. And where did you set the bar? Right. Exactly, Glenn. And so what what we've done here is we've taken a core value proposition um, that is being affixed to HCI, and rightly so today, yeah. around the time to value related to deployment. Um, but it wasn't just deployment. It was also ordering and shipping. That came first. And that's why I wanted to touch down on that. Um, but to your point, Glenn, yeah, 16 days and you have a FlexPod on-site up and running with workloads. Yeah. Uh, that is a tremendous leap forward for us. So who, who's the target market for this then? Is it, is it uh, an attempt to, uh, uh, I don't want to say poach, but uh, attempt to woo away some potential HCI customers? Or is it simply existing FlexPod customers or, or potential FlexPod customers who don't want to deal with that 40 to 80 hours of instantiation work? So short answer, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it, it, it really is all of the above. Um, we and let me let me take a, a quick step um, back into the architecture just for a second um, w- because it really directly relates to the target market, uh, which we think is small data center and certainly and maybe even more so remote data center and branch office, uh, remote office branch office. So um, the 1.0 solution uh, again, I mentioned it as a fixed configuration, and it's fixed for the most part. Uh, it's not fixed because it had to be. It's fixed because it's part of the value proposition. Exactly. It's part of the simplicity. Um, however, uh, there is some flexibility. So for, first things first, um, standard uh, FlexPod UCS Mini design. And it, uh, this design happens to be backed by a, a CVD, Cisco-validated design as well. Uh, so you have that peace of mind as well, which I think is, is, is also a very important piece we want our customers and partners to be aware of. Um, the design, so you have a dual 9K, Nexus 9K switches. You have a UCS Mini um, chassis with up to eight blade servers. That's Therein lies the flexibility. You can order this um, UCS mini uh, pod, FlexPod with infrastructure automation, with four through eight servers, so four, five, six, seven, or eight. Um, that's the only flexibility at time of order that we're allowing today. Uh, I hope to kind of push the envelope there in the future, but that's where we are today. So, and, and then... Um, and then on the storage side, we have a FAS 2552 with four 400 gig SSD drives configured as a flash pool, and the rest spinning media 900 gig SAS drives. Um, so um, we're definitely targeting this four to eight UCS server solution coupled with the FAS 2552 at small data center and certainly remote office branch office. So yeah. any anywhere, and, and, and you know, we, we've been very... 
we haven't danced around this, but what we don't want to do is actually pigeonhole it because we think that we think that there is a very natural fit in remote remote office and branch office because very oftentimes the IT teams there, uh, well, one, they may not even have a direct IT person on site. So it might need to actually be deployed by someone with lesser or very little IT skills. Yep. So that's first and foremost. Uh, secondly, given that you have that, uh, that model where you might have your um, most technical staff particularly... Um, deployed in your primary data center, your headquarter. And then you have these remote and branch office environments or other isolated environments where you need to bring converged infrastructure there to meet the needs of the business there, but you might not have the skills to deploy them. Well, this solution would allow you to actually bring a converged infrastructure quickly online in those types of situations and also allow your staff to remotely manage it using the same tools that they have today. That's another value tenant that we haven't actually touched down on, which is, and, and I think it is a core strategic advantage for this solution compared to some of our competitors, which is that we are not introducing new tools to support this solution. So this uh, infrastructure automation is developed and delivered using UCS Director, which is bundled with the solution. Um, everything else with respect to how it is managed will be using the same tools that most um, admins are using today, like vCenter and yep. UCS Manager. And they can use those tools from their headquarters. They don't have to hop on a plane or hop on a, or get transportation over to this site to actually manage the solution. Um, so remote and branch office, absolutely uh, a target market. Um, but we do think that there's a spot for it in small data center as well. There might be a team, maybe there's a team that needs a, a small VDI environment. Um, Maybe there's a team that needs an isolated virtual general purpose virtual infrastructure um, that that is specifically uh, uh, treated as their own. So I, I think that there are a number of use cases that you can associate with it, but it's not an island of infrastructure. It is you can integrate it into what you have, or you can keep it kind of uh, in its own in its own land and just create your own uh, cluster there from an ESX perspective. Yeah, I love the the. The thing that, that er, very early on when we, when we first started brainstorming about this stuff and, and all the way to today continues to keep me jazzed about this whole uh, program and, and what it's providing for our extended customers. You know, we, we touched on it a little bit in that explanation, Wyatt, but, but it's really that, you know, yeah, you, you get it, you plug it in, you, you plug the cable into the port we tell you to, you connect to a web page, you, you enter in the 25 some odd inputs we request, hit go, and then, you know, almost an hour later, we're done. When we say done, we're done deploying a Cisco validated design FlexPod. This is a full up converged infrastructure solution that can be in place, maintained from now until the end of time, right, without ever actually needing to take any workload down ever. Uh, that is a really, really, really high bar that we exit with. It, it absolutely is. Uh, when, we, when we say done, we mean it. License is applied. Uh, hypervisor ready for battle. Done. Um, you are plugging it into your management switch, and, and you're off. And, and really, I think that, you know, you, you remind me, Glenn, um, there's a two-page, um, I think we're calling it a quick deployment guide. Yeah. That ships in the box with this, with this solution. So two pages. Right, we've gotten we've gotten the steps required to deploy this FlexPod down to two pages. Now you can link to and download a more extensive, more exhaustive de design guide and, and, and installation guide, if you will. Um, but I, I think the you know the uh, the message there is 
I, if you can get something down to one to two pages with respect to how to deploy the solution and you're breaking that down into terms that even a non-technical or a lesser technical um, staff or individual can run with, I think you've accomplished something pretty great. Yeah, so to, to, to my answer to your question, Sully, you know, what market is this for? Uh, I... I'm a, maybe a slightly a bit more bullish than than I should be on it. Uh, part of it's just you know that whole like baby thing of your your child's never ugly, but um, for me the the giant advantage here is is where we basically took a look at HCI and said okay what's really cool here well what's really cool is you're putting the bar on the ground right you you, you can basically walk out of high school with barely graduating and be able to manage an incredibly sophisticated infrastructure or at least get it installed right. Um, that's really impressive, and you can't just ignore that. So we didn't. Yeah, we, we, we need to be able to address that. But there's a lot of stuff in HCI that I still, to this day, think is silly, like insisting on aggregating compute and storage. You know, that we have these religious debates over these stupid technical implementations that really don't impact the customer. Right? The thing that impacts them is how do they order it? How do they manage it? What's the bar? What kind of person do they need to employ to, to use this infrastructure? Well, Glenn and I would, I, when, I, when I tout the architectural benefits, I'm thinking from the perspective that you're coming from. Yeah. Um, so they do impact the customer, not directly, but indirectly, in the form of unused resources. Um, we won't, I won't hash that debate out, but when I, when I think about the inherent value of the FlexPod architecture, versus the inherent value of HCI. That is why I lean in the direction of our architecture as it relates to FlexPod, because you have that scalability. And it's really important to note that this FlexPod scales exactly like any other FlexPod after the automation runs. Yeah. So this day zero automation, it's there for day zero. After that, it's, it's, it's a standard UCS mini-based flex pod, fully validated, supported, and ready for battle, but you can grow any tier of that pod as needed. Yeah, that was the question I, I was getting ready to ask or started to ask a moment ago, which was, it's still a flex pod, right? Even though there's this automation to get everything off the ground, which means that you can scale it out in any dimension that you choose to, and it's just like any other FlexPod. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and in the future, I think that scalability story um, is something that we want to improve upon uh, from an automation standpoint even more so. Um, so we can, we can talk about that some other time. Um, but in the future, I'd love to see this automation capability allow for the expansion of the pod um, in a more one-click fashion, because um, we've got all the all the architectural setup from a um, redundancy um, perspective to to do that non-disruptively with even greater ease. So um, we've got that flexibility to, flexibility today. We want to keep our eyes on on automating that as much as we can as well in the future. Yeah, because let's not forget, right? We got UCS Director in in solution, and and we've had uh, cluster data on top native. It uh, native plugin integration into UCS Director for two years now. Uh, and of course, UCS Director's always known how to manage everything Cisco produces. Uh, so, so we already do have uh, a, a lighter lift automation platform in solution with anything that goes out the door with, with FlexPod infrastructure automation. Um, but, but as Wyatt touched on, you know, if you get into those more advanced uh, growth scenarios where you, you, know, you land a, a small robo shop and then you know, you're successful in that geo and the business explodes and you need to grow out that infrastructure to, to, to match the demand, uh, you can just slap blades in it and use the buttons in the existing GUI up to eight. But when you get to server number nine, 
now you're going to have to go and and pivot into a traditional CI management model because you're 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 breaking through the ceiling of what that platform handles out of the box today. But again, that's today. So Glenn, let me let me chime in there just real quickly. So we we talk about the future. Um, so we have this automation, this deployment automation developed today, and um, we we know that it is. I mean. Um, we started in a very specific spot to target that small data center, remote and branch office use case market. Um, we know that our customers um, want additional options with respect to this infrastructure automation. We we think that we've met the sweet spot here, but we have no doubt that we want to move up uh, and down market. I think that we will you you will see in the later summer this similar style of automation with some additional capabilities on larger flex pods. And uh, for today, I'll leave it at that. Um, but it is absolutely a top priority to very quickly take this to additional uh, flex pod sizes, uh, looking very likely larger first and then back down market uh, longer term. Yeah, so uh, last week I was not on the podcast, as as most of our listeners probably know. Um, I was actually out meeting with a customer. We were talking about containers and miscellaneous other things. But uh, after the meeting was over, I was talking with with their management, and it's like, you know, oh, you know, we've we've got this thing where we gotta we've got you know seventy some odd sites, and we need to put infrastructure at those sites, and we want it to be basically as hands off as possible. Um, so, uh, you know, solutions like this become really compelling, right? Because one, it's well-known, it's homogenous across all of those sites. You Absolutely. don't have to deploy people with that infrastructure in order mm -hmm. to go out and set it up and do all of those other things, right? As you alluded to, as Glenn alluded to, right? It's UCSD, it's UCS director underneath the covers, which mm -hmm. means that you already know, more than likely, if you have Cisco mm -hmm. infrastructure, how to use the thing. Absolutely, yeah. and, and, to be, and to be clear and very specific there, um, so UCSD is the engine driving the automation workflow. Um, and you can use UCSD in any number of ways, extremely capable uh, and flexible um, automation workflow um, capabilities there in the product. However, if a customer uh, is looking at the solution and let's say they don't own UCSD, that, that's fine. Um, there is no requirement that a customer needs uh, UCSD knowledge or a UCSD footprint before actually deploying the solution. So you take that example of the 70 distributed sites that that customer might have out there. Um, they could deploy the solution to those 70 sites, and I'll bet you that they have all of the tools from a management perspective that they would need to remotely deploy and manage that solution today even if they don't have UCS Director, because assuming they're a NetApp customer, yeah. <laughs> they already have they already have the, the, the NetApp uh, on-command element managers, et cetera. Um, and assuming they're a Cisco customer, they already have UCS Manager. And if they're using um, vCenter, then they're going to be uh, remotely managing from vCenter as well. Um, so no new island of infrastructure introduced. They're using the same tools that they have today, and that deployment can be done without a highly technical resource in those distributed sites. Man, we've we've just started rolling. You know, I, I look at the, the the ticker here, and we've 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 got a good little bit we've already got recorded. Um, but there was some stuff that we touched on at the top that, that I want to circle back around to for like the fifth time. We'll get to it this time, I promise. <laughs> um, uh, when, when we talk about automated provisioning, uh, A, for transparency, but B, also for, for some education of the listeners out there, you know, another thing that you can do when you start to automate and orchestrate the stand-up of an infrastructure 
is you can just flat out remove configuration choices that they previously had to make. So for instance, when uh, FlexPod with infrastructure automation uh, deploys a FlexPod, it never asks you what VLAN you want to use for live migrate or vMotion or NFS or any of that stuff because that's really trivial. It's inside the pod. You don't need to manage or micromanage that. We can abstract it all away and, and just expose the business-related rules that, that actually do impact the ops team, uh, which was something that, that this project actually did uh, and, and is going to allow us Again, you know, I'm kind of a broken record here, but this thing in my mind doesn't fit into any buckets cleanly. It, it really does kind of break a lot of molds, and it borrows from a lot of segments and a lot of very successful products. It, it absolutely does, and, and I believe that very strongly, what you said, Glenn, and, and that has been our message uh, out to our partners and customers, which is that, again, and, and we opened up with it, um, we are borrowing um, some inherently and very easy-to-understand value um, that we know our customers want, and we're combining it with uh, what we think is a superior architecture uh, and value that FlexPod brings from a flexibility perspective. Um, I, I don't know that we've really. I heard you earlier on, Glenn. You said 25 fields. So you l let me walk you through the quickly the user experience of this front end automation GUI. Um, so when you power your pod up, you would log into UCS Director via uh, any standard web client, right? Um, you would log in and you would launch directly into the automated infrastructure provisioning workflow that has been, again, developed and delivered through uh, UCS Director. There are only eight required fields. Oh, wow. We got it down to eight. Down to eight fields. So standard fields, I don't have them off the top of my but IP address, a DNS server, um, and then some others, certainly yeah. some others related to vCenter um, and related to a few other properties. But um, the point is it's eight. So I have seen people go through that uh, automated GUI in two minutes if they know it. And, and we've had partners go through it blind in under five minutes. So that's how quickly you can step through this thing and launch into the actual automation uh, provisioning. So it's it's really lightweight, very intuitive. We've done a fantastic job. The, the developers on both sides, Cisco and NetApp, have just done a great job getting it, I think, uh, at the right level. Um, so very, very, uh, very proud of that accomplishment. Yeah, it's funny. We, we, we lead with a what appears to be a high marketing number when we say, up and running in an hour. And everyone else is running around talking about, like, in less than an hour, right. in 30 minutes. Right. Uh, One they, lunch break. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well but, but then you go. Let's say we give them more than 45 minutes. But. Well, but then, but then you go and, and, and you start, like, doing some research and you find, like, blog posts from, from actual admins who have done this. And they're like, well, yeah, the wizard ran for 15 minutes, but it took me two and a half days to get the hardware to the point where I could even load the wizard. You got it. You know, that these are the types of problems that, that we're, we just flat out dealt with. Well, and re we realistically, again, this is what techies care about because we care about the difference between our script running in an hour or an hour and three minutes. What the business cares about is, Precisely. do I need to pay an architect to be on site for two weeks to deploy this? And then do I need to pay uh, application architects or other folks to manage and own it. And I think that, again, that's where we've moved the needle here is you don't need the same level of skills to roll this out. Um, and, and if you want it 
in two weeks, we can get it to you. So it's, you know, it's this, it's t- this, this time to value really is, I mean, it, it really resonates. Um, and I think that that's the key here. Well, so, so what about, uh, just flat out modifications? Um, because it is a flex pod, sure. right? You know, w- w- once we're up and running, you know, as long as we're on the IMT, you're supported. Uh, if, 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 uh, we had a customer who was familiar with the program was NetApp and Cisco, uh, uh, intelligent. They know what they're doing, and they they choose to just dive in there and start changing all sorts of settings and reconfigure at will. I assume we have no problem with that. Sure. I mean, I, back to this is a this is a standard UCS Mini FlexPod once the automation runs. So so Glenn, we would we would be subject to the same the same governance and the same best practices uh, related to supportability post day zero Got of, it. of any other UCS Mini FlexPod. And I venture to guess, Glenn, that you are uh, far more knowledgeable on on is this still a supported flex pod uh, than than I am. But yeah, I mean this absolutely we're not limiting we're not limiting the scalability options post day zero in any specific way. Yeah, that and, and, and that's that's the again, you know, I know I'm a broken record, but I'm just super, super hyped about this thing. I'm so happy that we were able to get you in here today and talk about it, Wyatt, um, because I think it's a huge, huge, huge deal, uh, both for NetApp and the industry, right? Uh, wh- whether or not they publicly admit it, the rest of the world's going to have to answer to this. They're going to have to respond, uh, I, and I, we're going to move the needle just a little bit more. I, I agree. I think you're right. I hope you're right. And I don't know if your enthusiasm, Glenn, is just due to the five pounds you've lost uh, by losing that beard or if it's just <laughs> a special day for you and you love the solution. But I think Andrew was going to jump in with something as well. Right. Sure. So that's one of the things that's always been uh, a big deal, right? I have uh, a storage and a virtualization right, server administrator background. Hmm. I can explain network architecture to a level of, of – to some level, right? I think I remember how to log into a Cisco switch. But this is one of those things where networking is historically one of the, if not the most complicated part of any infrastructure. And having that automated, having that done for you out of the box, I think is huge. I can't believe I forgot to bring this up. I might I might lose, lose my badge access for not touching down on this sooner. So th- thanks, Andrew. So here's a, a, a very, very interesting nugget um, related to the value here. So as you said, we are deploying and provisioning dual Nexus 9Ks as part of this solution. Um, Many competitors don't even provide um, a switch with their automated solution uh, related to converged infrastructure or mm. hyper-converged infrastructure, yeah. particularly around the provisioning. So yeah. we are we are doing something very unique with respect to actually automating the network level uh, provisioning. So that is something. I mean, that's a that's a great point. Um, you also have removed. Um, you know, you go back to kind of the standard traditional IT support model. You've got your network guys, you've got your C, well, not your CI guys, sorry, you've got your virtualization folks, and you've got your storage folks. That that was, you know, that's your five, ten years ago, and now th- those models and those modes are kind of bleeding together um, and evolving, and you might have um, virtualization folks actually working on the storage team or on the network team and vice versa, so they're kind of coming together. Um, and I think that this solution, though, the solution with respect to deployment doesn't even require those guys, regardless of the roles five years ago or today. We can deploy this with, with without those folks, and we love those folks, <laughs> to be, be clear, um, and they absolutely have a part and a place in the future. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that we can actually get this up and running 
without any of those specialized skill sets, including the network piece, which is truly unique to this solution. Uh, when you look at, again, uh, direct competitors with this automation provisioning, um, I'm not saying that none of them can provision the network, but very few of them do it, and very few of them integrate and include the networking switches in the solution or the product as well. Well, there's there's something to be said for you know sticking into a rack and then hooking up your uplinks. Sure. And being done with the network, being done with cabling, essentially, at, at that point. You got it. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. All right. Well, I feel like we've uh, we've done a really good job of setting up the listeners at home uh, for what what what, it, what uh, FlexPod with automation is, uh, where we came from, kind of where we're headed, what our aspirations are. Uh, what are we doing to to help kind of educate the world? What, what, where where can they go to learn more, and and where can they go to to find us this year? Sure, sure. So um, so so first things first. If you Google. Uh, FlexPod with infrastructure automation, you will see several hits. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we did a really bad job. to do a job. So we, we, are, we, are, we are very fiercely um, in a go-to-market mode at this point, Glenn. We've had, um, you know, for folks internal to NetApp and Cisco, we've had winning together sessions. Uh, we have really beat our drum at the standard Insight um, and Cisco Live uh, events, big events. So we've gotten the word out there as well. We have a lot of collateral data sheets, solution guides, selling guides, um, videos, demos of this solution you can even find on YouTube. Um, so we, we have a lot of collateral out there that you can find um, pretty pretty easily without actually logging into a NetApp or a Cisco portal, first, first things first. Um, so this solution is available today in North America through Avnet. We are extending it to a, a, a good portion of EMEA later, uh, very late in March, late March, early April. So at, l at least, I think we're seven or eight countries in EMEA, and we're looking at uh, Latin America as the next stop there. And again, we, we look forward to expanding this to additional distributors. Um, no specific details there today, but that is certainly on our roadmap to do uh, aggressively so we can bring this capability um, to, to other partners, other distributors in the future as well. Yeah, if you're a customer at home uh, listening in and, and you hear the word Avnet and go, but I don't work with them. Who's this Avnet person you're speaking of? Uh, Avnet is a major IT uh, distributor in, in this industry. That basically, they buy from vendors like NetApp and Cisco, and they put together solutions for partners. Uh, they're a middleman. So they're, they're, they're the best middleman or one of the best, in my opinion. Um, you call whoever you call today. Whoever your partner who gets you NetApp is, they're the same partner who's going to get you a fully automated FlexPod. It's just that partner is is using uh, the, the, this partner to help bring the solution to market. Exactly right. Well said. Oh, man, that was awesome, Sully. I, I can't tell you how awesome it is to finally be able to sit there and just go, but what about this? Answer those questions. Huh? Huh? What do you got now? No, I, I agree. Um, it's something that has been... A long time coming, right? I, I remember um, I helped with the initial proof of concept you automation. Most certainly on this. did. So uh, I am very happy to see uh, this come to fruition, and it's something that is exciting to me. And I think it is something that our customers, you know, particularly if you are looking at, you know, if you have those, you know, small office, remote office, even departmental IT needs, um, it's a potential candidate, right? And that. I still have all of that scalability. I still have familiar components. I'm not having to do a one-off. I'm not having to, you know, create a new architecture, evaluate new vendors, any of yeah. that type of stuff. It's just FlexPod. 
Yeah, that well said, man. Well said. All right. Uh, you know, we've been we've been uh, asking for emails for weeks, uh, and and we've been getting them. Uh, we haven't been answering them though. So I want to. Uh, we're running a little long, so we're not going to spend a ton of time here. But I want to pass through and uh, read a couple of these and answer some on air. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat. You ready? I hope so. I don't. I don't. I don't. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Uh, high team scenario. I have a NetApp system with multiple PCIe cards, and I need to identify the NetApp part number to identify its compatibility for a specific task. How can I do this? That question comes in from Michael, who is an SE for a partner. So I believe the best way to do that, uh, so if we're talking 7 mode, it's the sysconfig space dash CA command. If it's cluster data on tap, it's the same command, just run on each node. So... Node run. Node, node space run space dash node space star space dash command space and then that command. Sysconfig dash CA. You got it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Michael, let us know if you uh, have any follow-ons to it. As you, uh, We hope you'll see. It's actually pretty simple. You can also get to all that information through PowerShell, um, but, but I actually use the sysconfig-ca flag myself um, because that output is specifically designed to give you the part numbers for the purpose of ordering. So it, it, it should, it should uh, alleviate your specific problem. And, of course, it's in my auto support as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, let's do two more real quick. Uh, this this one uh, is is a little older. Uh, we had some time to uh, touch on some of this, and we've actually uh, we, we've got an old time listener to the show, Ara Avali. Uh, Ara has of course emailed the show many times back in the days, back when we uh, still had Nick. Um, and he writes in, hello, guys. Can you plan some time and explain if you see any benefits to adopting FCOE in a VMware environment based on your existing customer experience? We are using NFS on 10 gig cards, but we have some internal debate. Much appreciated. Uh, so we, we, we sent back Ara a whole bunch of information, uh, including some, some data dumps from uh, the, the, the SAN, ISAN, TMEs. Uh, you want to give us a, a high-level summary of kind of what, what, what the takeaway there is, FCOE versus NFS for VMware? Yeah, um, so we did reach out to the protocol TMEs, uh, so Michael Peppers and company. Uh, hopefully we can have those guys on at some point in the future. Uh, but the gist of it is, um, like any protocol that NetApp serves, it's ultimately up to you and what you're most comfortable with and what you have existing infrastructure for. Right, FCOE, and uh, in, in Andrew's opinion, is primarily a cable reduction te technology, right? If my organization uses fiber channel and for, for storage, right, and you have to have IP, right, it doesn't do you a lot of good to not have an IP network when you're hosting virtual machines, right? It's a way of consolidating those cables down instead of having, you know, four cables per server, maybe it's just two, right? Something along those lines. So that being said, getting out of the physical side of things on the logical, the management side of things, it's managing VMFS data stores versus managing NFS data stores. There's, uh, uh, again, Andrew's opinion, some inherent benefits to NFS data stores. Uh, one, you can see storage efficiency immediately, right? If you turn on deduplication uh, on that data store, the, that capacity is reclaimed immediately in the VMware data store, right? That NFS uh, export. With a VMFS data store, it's not seen on the VMware side of things. It's only seen on the NetApp side of things. So you can still see it on the VMware side of things if you're yeah. using VSC, if you're using the VASA provider, right, that type of stuff. But it's not as easy. Uh, the other thing is resizing. 
right? Hey, I want to increase the size or decrease the size of this data store. Great. Resize the volume and you're done with NFS. With VMFS, with a, a block-based protocol, right, you're talking about changing the size of that underlying data store and there's a lot of sticky wickets there. Yeah. Yeah. From a performance standpoint, though, uh, uh, Ara, it's it's the same old, same old. Uh, we don't have a favorite protocol inside cluster data on top. Uh, we that 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 platform just doesn't it's not how it is it's not how it works and it it's it's not uh how we've designed it so it really does truly does come down to customer preference whichever one you and your team is the most comfortable with that's the one you should be using if that's nfs roll nfs uh if if the internal dev team and the internal ops team they just don't trust it and they just want fiber channel don't fight them you don't have to fiber channel works great yeah, I, I tend to find that it's a lot of times a political issue. Absolutely. Um, that, that is, uh, uh, that technical aspects of the relevant protocols is used to support that political opinion. Um, you know, Fiber Channel is most frequently owned by the storage team, right? And they like to have that control. They like to be able to say, it's not our fault, see, as opposed to having to rely on somebody like the network team, where you have that giant black hole between the two endpoints, and it could be anything in between there. So... Uh, you know, yes, is Fiber Channel a lossless protocol and all those other things? Well, sure, but, you know, TCP was designed to accommodate failure for a reason, right? It's it's okay if you have a dropped packet. Well, plus, I mean, with, with 9Ks, data center bridging, QoS, I can make NFS lossless. <laughs> yeah, or pretty close, yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on. Last one for the day, and then we'll go ahead and land this ship. Dear podcast team, this comes in from our friend David Warner. Uh, David writes, dear podcast team, big fan of the show. Keep up the good work. I was just wondering, where did all the talk slash buzz around software-defined storage and the software-defined data center go this past year? It was such a huge topic in the industry and on the show 12 months ago. Does DevOps now replace it all? Same thing, just different buzzwords? So what do you think, Sully? Are we are, are did we just literally take all of the buzz and marketing around SDS and SDDC and just refunnel it all towards DevOps? I know you and I have a pretty loaded yeah, opinion so, on this. Yeah. So uh, again, Andrew's opinion, you know, for for whatever water that holds, uh, no. So SDS, uh, leveraging the NetApp definition of SDS, right? Everybody, or, or there are two kind of central SDS definitions. One is software, right? So, so SDS stands for software-defined storage. So one is a, what I call a virtualized storage product, right? Where I'm taking that today, what would be on tap, for example, and putting it into something that I can virtualize and that I can put onto any white box hardware, right? Yep. So the other one is really the concept that I believe SNEA has defined, which is what I abbreviate to consuming storage, where you want it, when you want it, how you want it. Right, it's really a an automation story. Yeah, which which to. which for what it's worth uh, is is the definition that I prescribe to. I know that that again for what it's worth. Who cares what Glenn Sizemore thinks about what a word means? Right, <laughs> like this is one of the problems that we have right now. Uh, Michael, to your point, or sorry, David, to your point. Uh, DevOps is a word that's thrown around a lot, and and if you if if you spend enough time running into it as Sully and I do. Uh, you spend a lot of time going, please define to me what that word means in your mind. And you'll discover that very few, like very rarely do you come across two people who are actually talking about the same thing. Um, it's, it's, it, I do think we're dealing with, the, with, with, with a case of a little bit of buzzword overload, but that's pretty standard for this business. Uh, 
the buzz around SDDS and SDDC uh, may have decreased a little bit, but but I think that's just because the industry is waking up to just how transformational DevOps as a business process truly can be. Yeah, I, I will say that you know S- SDS and SDDC, right? SDDC, uh, Andrew's definition being right, taking that same concept of storage, how you want it, when you want it, where you want it, and applying that to the virtualization, right? The compute resources and the network resources so that you now have this concept of consuming IT how you want it, where you want it, when you need it type of thing, right? Yeah. So if we apply that to DevOps, right? DevOps, uh, again, because we, uh, I think that everybody has a definition, different definition here, right? I look at it at the simplest terms of removing friction between development and operations, right? Well, what's the fastest way to do that or what's the easiest way to do that? by enabling the developers to self-serve, right? Just just allow them to come in and consume that software-defined data center concept, consume the resources that they need when they need them, and not having to rely on a bottleneck in the operations team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we don't have time to deep dive and pick this apart anymore, but I totally agree with that at a high level. Uh, it, it's, it's not that they went away or became less important. Uh, the f- having a storage product that can be defined in code and managed through APIs, regardless of the, the platform that's trying to manage it, is more important today than it was yesterday, and it's going to be more important tomorrow than it is today. Uh, the same is true for your data center as a whole. Uh, depending on, on which ecosystem you follow, you may call this a data center abstraction layer or a software-defined data center or, or infrastructure as code, but they're all talking about the same thing right? Let's get it in source control. Let's make it repeatable. Let's make it automatable so it's scalable, irregardless of how big N gets. Uh, and, and, and really, the reason DevOps is kind of overshadowing it, even on this show, is, is because those first two things are technologies, right? They're, they're touching on the way that we actually deliver the products in the real world. The last one is a business process problem. It's, it's a how do you do business? How do you do product management? How do you bring products to market? How do you def- decide what your next bet as a business is going to be? DevOps very much is about a different way of going through that. And, and it uses SDS and SDDC often, uh, but those are not mandatory elements. Agreed. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, please leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I would like to personally thank Wyatt Pennant for joining us this week. And also remember to send any questions that you may have or features to the Tech on Tap podcast. As always, thanks for listening. I don't know about this, man. No adult supervision. They just let you and I in the studio and talk to a PM without any oversight. You're implying that Justin is the adult supervision? Okay, that's a good call. Good call. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I thought of a new problem. Uh oh. We don't have adult supervision. Yeah, we're gonna, I'm going to need you to put in a help desk ticket for that. Get right on that. <laughs>